I had to kind of draw a better picture of what would great look like. What am I aiming at here? And then begin to then go back to my disengagement and start deciding, well, what are the subtle shifts I can make today in my decisions, in my choices, my behaviors, my habits that would slowly begin to enable me. So it's that like you, you have to have a vision though for what great would look like. I've learned so much over this first year of podcasting, and I wanted to share with you guys the 10 most life-changing lessons that I've learned this year. So I created a document, and it's on my website. What you're going to do, you're going to go there. It's going to be 10 life-changing lessons. Click on that button. It'll ask for your email address so I can email it to you. Sign up for it, because these life lessons radically changed the way I viewed my life and the way I started living. It helped me to get better in the areas that I've so desperately wanted to see progress and growth in. And because I know they helped me, I really believe that they will help you. And I wanted this to be a gift for you guys. So I really hope you enjoy this gift and go to the website, thewholepersonpodcast.com to get it. It's free. And I hope you guys enjoy and learn as much as I did from it. Today, we have a really fun guest, someone who journey I've followed online for a little bit, and he's an author of a pretty awesome book. His name, welcome to the show, Aaron McHugh. Aaron is an author of Fire Your Boss. He's a podcaster, adventurer, and a career liberator for people who are wanting to learn and master this idea of work-life balance, because until you apply it, it's an idea. And so I'm actually really excited to talk to Aaron today about taking this idea of work-life balance and actually how to make it come into reality in my life and in your life. And so Aaron, welcome to the Whole Person Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? Yeah, it's great. Thanks, Evan. Yeah, I love the Whole Person invitation too. So I'm a big fan of becoming an integrated whole person. Yeah, and on the part of work-life balance, one of the things I've been playing with recently is really realizing that, I haven't known how to say it until recently, is that I actually believe that work-life balance is a myth. And what I mean by that is this idea of like Zen perfect, you know, culturally people understand what that concept is. And but what it usually means in practicality is people are, attempting to get everything in their life like all lined up it reminds me of like a teeter-totter right and so like on a teeter-totter you know it's somebody's up somebody's down and so this idea of like the scales perfectly balance out and then all of a sudden everything's in zen harmony i've just found to be bs it's just not true and what i mean by that is it's really impossible to hold balance for very long mm. and so i what i've found to be more true is i end up feeling upside down more than I feel in perfect balance. So what I've been experimenting with the last five or 10 years, probably 10, is that idea of what what would it look like to discover sustainable rhythms in my life, in work, in life, in play, in relationships, so that I can experience more joy, more intimacy, more connection, more adventure, Versus trying to figure out how to get everything in balance, which I've just never successfully done. Right. Well, I'm really glad you said that because that was going to be one of my questions is 
because I've also perceived it to be a myth. And so why would I be asking about how to create work-life balance? And the only way that I guess I know how to describe this is like an airplane. You fly, you're going from one destination to another and the plane feels, you know, unless if you're banking or turning pretty balanced for the Mm -hmm. most part as a passenger, but what you don't know in the cockpit, it's really never in balance, but it's in constant, um, Constant course correction. Constant course correction. Absolutely. So if it gets a little off one way, then it turns the other. You know, it's just constantly being moved and it makes it feel even. And I've noticed life feels a lot like that, but maybe not as even as a plane in most circumstances. Because even right now, as we're going through this whole corona thing, life does not feel very balanced at all. Right. Yeah, it's out of whack. And Yeah, I love your analogy of, um, I have a friend of mine who's a FedEx pilot for like 30 years. And he said um, that the difference of making it from Los Angeles to Hawaii was um, on a course correction, as you're saying, they're constantly adjusting. That's every moment they're bringing it back. They're off course, then they're on course. They're off course and they're on course. And he said, you could actually miss the Hawaiian islands, um, by 80 miles, if you were off only 20 or two degrees rather. So over the course of the thousands of miles, that little bitty adjustment. So what I'm learning in life is learning to develop awareness so that I can pay attention to when am I off course. Mm. And what that requires is like, it's may not be in the moment or in the day, in the week, in the year, but like, it's so easy to get off course in our life. And let's, let's just take simple thing. Like right now I am, I'm running a life experiment where I'm running a minimum of a mile per day. So right now I have a streak going and I think today will be my 35th day in a row. Well, the reason I've started doing that is because I could tell that I've been off track and off course for a little while in my career. I'm really on purpose in the work I'm doing. But my physical body, I'm off purpose because I'm not making the choices that I want to make to be as, um, to feel the way I want to feel. And so this little bitty like course correction of like, well, I could do a mile a day. It's like, whatever, my best day, you know, it's eight and a half minutes or something. And my worst day, it's 14 minutes long. I can find that amount of time, but it begins to just true my course where then as I'm moving forward, I now have some practice built into my day that I can now pay attention to and actually do something about where over time, like arriving safe and on time in Hawaii, um, I just turned 48 last week. So when I roll up to age 60, um, I want it to feel a particular way. When I roll up to age 50, I want to feel a particular way. Well, the way I do that is to build, build in these seeds of discipline, you know, of, of life giving rhythms into my life so that I can actually have the life that I want. Right. So what do you think some of those things that we need to be aware of in order to live in those rhythms? Yeah. One of the things I've been really paying a lot of attention to the last few years, Evan, is that none of us, each of us, none of your listeners when they were born came with an operating manual. And what I mean like, is like, yeah, right. Wouldn't it be great? 
Um, so wouldn't it be great if you had the uh, Evan operating manual, you just turn to page 326, section B, to right. find out what to do next, or to find out, well, how do I work best? Or um, what is it that I want? What's my purpose? Like, you know, who am I? Like, whatever these, well, it turns Existential out. Existential um, questions. Yeah, right, big ones. Or even like small one, like my wife spends a lot of time on diet related things. She's had some, uh, some diet things come up the last couple of years with gluten and others. So even simple stuff like that. And what I've discovered is because we didn't come with an individualized operating manual, then we have to go about the journey of creating one ourselves. And what I mean by that is through curiosity, experimentation, prayer. Um, I have a deep spiritual life, so I ask God for help every day. And in that, what I'm learning is like, it's kind of a cool life project to develop my own, what is my operating manual say? And so what does it look like for me? Um, I was just doing some writing before we got on this call today and um, a chapter in my book, um, this fire your boss is a chapter 14. I think it is about learning how to pace yourself in life and how to go the distance and so um, with that, I've had to learn how to write my own operating manual. So one of those is my circadian rhythms, you know, our 24-hour body clock every day. We have highs and lows of our energy. Each of us do. But each of us differ slightly from one another. Well, my sweet spot is the morning. So I'd much rather wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and, and then stay up till 1130 at night. Like I can do 1130 at night, but it's not my favorite hour. Whereas like my kids and even my wife, they enjoy the evening hours way more than I do. But what I've learned is just to accept and realize that for me, my morning hours are my sweet spot. And especially when it comes to like creative work, well, I've learned if I'm going to do creative work, well, that's when I should spend time on it versus I have some accounting work to do later today and send some invoices. I don't want to do that at seven o'clock in the morning when that's my sweet spot where I know I'm going to operate best. I'll save that till two or three o'clock in the afternoon where I it's, yeah, I have to think about it, but it's not the same level of creativity required to work on accounting than it is to stare at a blinking cursor on my page to figure out what to write. So speaking of finding your rhythms, finding your way, your owner's manual and your book, fire your boss. Yeah. So a funny story about me I graduated college in 2010 with a degree in theology because I wanted to be a pastor. Cool. Well, because I didn't go into ministry at all, uh, that degree was pretty worthless in every area that I tried to go to work in. And the economy wasn't great at that time. And so we were still in recovery mode. And I worked a lot of part-time and temporary jobs. And I had over 21 jobs in a span of four years. Okay. That's like a lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. And, you know, before I graduated, uh, the president of our university, Dr. Rutland, I was meeting with him and he told me, you know, Evan, when you're young, get as much experience as you can. It's like a kaleidoscope. And at the end of your life, it's going to make a beautiful picture. Okay. And I took that advice a little too seriously. Yeah. Um, but so I asked you because it was such a unique journey that I was on. Now, you know, I've been in the same position of a real estate agent for, I'm in seven years now. Okay. And 
what I've realized is I fired my bosses. Some of them fired me and some of it was circumstantial. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that just really made me curious about your book. Why did you decide to call your book fire your boss? Yeah. Great question. Um, I actually wasn't a creative marketing ploy. It was actually a literal story. So rewind the clock like 15 years ago. And I was working at a company that I really was enjoying the work I was doing during the day, like in terms of the meaty business challenges. It was a software company and we were working on um, learning to price gasoline using math and science. Okay. And then connecting technologies. So back in the day, when a, a smartphone was a trio, palm trio, <laughs> um, blackberries, like back in those days. And so we had this buddy of mine I worked for, had this great idea of like, well, what if we could, you could price a, the globes worth of gasoline from this little device and you could like make a decision, you know, a business decision to move up the market or move down the market and have all this uh, microeconomics built into it. And then it would just transmit to the world and change all the devices all the way down to the pump itself. And it was like a really fun challenge to work on. And and fast forward, that's actually how the world of gasoline gets priced today. And what was happening was I was really challenged with um, just the work environment and some of the, my direct boss um, that I worked for. And she was just really a really challenging human. And I had this bike ride with a buddy one day and I said, I've got an idea. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to fire her ass. <laughs> and it was like, uh, I laughed even then, like, I didn't know what, how I was going to do it. I didn't know what that meant, but I needed the job and I needed to stay where I was. But I knew I needed somehow, some way to get this individual out of my way. And what it became was this kind of like, I don't even know, this uh, linchpin idea of, whoa, how could you do that? How could you stay where you are, wherever you are? So as I've incubated that idea, I guess it would be about 10 years ago now, um, I had sit, I wrote down that idea one day on my back patio and wrote down kind of this, I just call it this mantra, this uh, manifesto idea. And fast forward now 10 years and the book that I've released is really my version of like incubating that idea over the course of 10 years. So what it means to me today is really about firing your boss is about learning to lead ourselves and less about actually um, what we would traditionally think of firing, you know, and so sometimes people will take the title and they don't read the second part, which is the subtitle, which is discovering work you love without quitting your job. Right. And so then that part, when people take it at first as an entrepreneur book, and then they take it as a, um, how to get my boss out of the way book. Well, really it's about how to discover happiness Mm -hmm. and how it's an inside job. So do you mind if I actually just read you a couple paragraphs? Yeah, please. Cool. I think you're that's my next question, which is tell me a story from your book. Okay, fun. I'll, yeah, I think your uh, listeners will enjoy. Introduction. This is the third time I've written this book. So the first time was on the back patio, as I mentioned. The first version was a rant. The second was a passionate sermon. And this one is a swan song. 
I've contemplated quitting and not finishing this version a thousand times, but I knew that you were out there waiting for a lifeline. The work you do every day is meant to make a lasting dent in the universe, but some of you don't believe it anymore and your heart is growing weary. I suspect you picked up this book because of the polarizing title and you're banking on me giving you some silver bullet advice on how to rid yourself of a boss forever. Sorry, pal, but this isn't a book about becoming an entrepreneur or about how to retire early. I'm offering alchemy. This is a book about how in the day in and day out of going to work, you can learn to create irrefutable value in every workplace, regardless of circumstances. And if we attempt to tackle our career challenges head on, Albert Einstein promises, no problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. But if we take a personal transformation approach to becoming the kind of person who can move from fear to freedom, blame to accountability, disengaged to engaged, powerless to empowered, compartmentalize to wholehearted, and rule follower to heretic, well, then everything can be different. Fire Your Boss is a new liberated way of working where we learn to lead and manage ourselves, mature into wholehearted humans, and transform our work organizations from the inside out. True career liberation is an inside job, always. Together, we're starting a revolution, a gathering of ruckus-making brave souls who share conviction about the importance of doing work we love while engaging our heart, body, mind, and soul. In other words, we want it all. We're about to embark on a journey, a road less traveled, to confront the root issues fueling our workplace unrest. But full disclosure, it isn't going to be what you think. This is not a revolution with pitchforks and torches. As I said, this is an inside job. Ready? Let's go. That's awesome. What comes up for you as you hear that? When I started this podcast, it was important for me to lead by example, that I wouldn't hide behind a fake mask acting like I've arrived and speaking from the mountaintop. My whole purpose was to be vulnerable about where I was, my failures, my struggles, and my successes so that I could be a bridge, that I could be a gap in this process of showing people how to change in the areas of faith, family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun, because that's exactly where I'm at and what I'm doing. And I had a coach years ago, and he was the first coach I've ever had, and he did it for a very affordable rate because I couldn't afford anything more than what he offered me. But he told me this, Evan, someday you're gonna get in a spot where you're gonna be able to give back to others. And I want you to remember what I'm doing for you here and now that it's made affordable so that you can actually go through it. He goes, I believe in you and I trust that you'll do this. And so because of that, it resonated within me that at a certain point when I felt I've had enough hard knocks that I had something to offer other people, I would start a coaching program. And this is that. I am now starting a coaching program and I'm going to make it affordable because by the graces of someone else that helped me out when I was first starting my journey, I wanted to do the same for other people. So I'm gonna offer a free 15 minute coaching phone call to anyone that wants it. You can go to the website, thewholepersonpodcast.com and sign up for that free coaching phone call. And if you're looking to have a longer extended coaching relationship outside of that first 15 minute phone call, 
I have the prices right up front. I'm open about it. And I'd be more than happy to see if we'd work well with one another and can help you reach and achieve the goals that you have in life. Guys, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the show. You know, I'm also on this journey of discovering who I am, my gifts, this idea of calling. I learned early on from the experiences of having 21 different jobs, all different reasons, but I didn't like working for other people. Okay. And I I absolutely love working for myself or someone who cares about personal growth. Okay. And through what you read and how I feel like I'm trying to apply it to my life is this journey that I'm on the whole person journey Mm -hmm. where I'm growing in my faith, in my family, in my finances, friendship, fitness, and fun. And there's a key line in what you said, going from disengaged to engaged. And over the past few weeks, that's something that I've realized that I've had a hard time in. Hmm. You know, whether it's health or finances or, well, not finances, actually, I'm pretty engaged there but in my marriage or, you know, parenting, I've noticed I am disengaged more so than what I want to be in a lot of those areas in life that I want to thrive in. And I'm trying, no, there is no try, do or do not. There is no try. Um, I'm looking at how I can become more engaged and why I want to be disengaged. What, what benefit do I have being disengaged? You know, the other day in, uh, I was talking to my wife and we were, we were talking about our, our, our love life. And, you know, I was trying to figure out a way to say, Hey, how can we make this more vibrant and consistent? You know, um, not that it's bad or terrible, you know, there's no knock on her. Uh, But I know at least for me, I'm amped and I, you know, would prefer far more frequency, you know, as is true to most men. Right. You know? And so as I sat down, you know, I was like, how, what can we do here? And she says, well, you know, if we could cuddle more, not sexually, <laughs> right. if I could like just lean up against you and be like, you not belch, you know, get off me, I'm full. Yes. If you, if we would turn off the TV and spend more time talking. And so then I realized there's a lot of areas in my marriage mm. I'm not engaged in. Yeah. And because of that, it's a turnoff to my wife. Yeah, true. That was a huge you know, frying pan hit over the head moment, you know, where my head's going, and I'm like, huh, all right. So I need to be more engaged, which has caused me to start contemplating what other areas. Yeah. Well, I like what I love about your question, actually. Um, And topic is uh, maybe two things is one that what you're saying is um, the engaged to engage, you're acknowledging and, and owning and recognizing that there is a, the question of why am I not engaged is a helpful question of, 
So when we start to look at areas of our life, marriage or work or fitness or finances, as you just rolled them off, is when we're not engaged, the first place to start is to ask the question, well, why? Why am I not? What about it is not, um, you know, sometimes it's just not clear to me. Like uh, in um, marriage, my wife and I have been married 26 years. Congrats. That's great. Yeah. And so we've had that same conversation many times. And one of the things I learned was I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know, especially, uh, you know, areas of sexual intimacy, especially I did not know what I did not know. And what I mean by that is like, I remember we had a marriage coach once we met with and he said, um, do you realize basically what he said is, uh, you think sex equals intimacy and your wife believes intimacy um, sex is the byproduct of intimacy. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? It doesn't, you mean intimacy and sex are not the same. He's like, not to your wife. What? Who, how come nobody told me this? So it was really helpful to say, hold on time out. What does intimacy mean? Because in that case, it wasn't that I wasn't engaged. I just didn't even know that it was a different thing. I didn't know right. intimacy. And so beginning to prioritize, and he basically went on to say that intimacy always results in the possibility of more sexual intimacy. Relational intimacy does, but sexual intimacy does not always result in more relational intimacy. And that was super helpful. Like, oh, okay. Wow. I had no idea. So back to engagement, I think sometimes we're um, just unconscious of our disengagement or our lack of engagement because we may not even understand what's going on. Whereas in other um, places like in um, work as an area, it's maybe a little bit easier, especially for us as men to be clear about that. Like, Hey, I know I'm not engaged. And the question I like to ask with that engagement is, are you offering your whole self? So your whole person, as you talk about in your podcast, are you, is all of you available? Is all of you invested in what you're doing? And sometimes it may not be. So I've had plenty of jobs and careers over the years. Like you mentioned, you're 21 in four years. I've had lots of them where I was intentionally not offering all of me. But it was a choice. I think the difference is, is being at choice. Excuse me. And when we're um, passive in our disengagement, that's very destructive to us mm-hmm. at a soul level over time because it reminds me of, have you ever seen the movie uh, Shawshank Redemption? One of my favorites. Yeah. So, you know, Red and Andy Dufresne are having a conversation about hope and Andy says, you know, they can't, they can't take what's in here and here from me. And he's like, I'm talking about hope. He's like, what are you talking about? Hope hope's a dangerous thing. And he goes, yeah, but it may be one of the best things. And I think what happens so often is people in their disengagement just allow hope to die. There's something in us that atrophies. That's a pin drop instead of a mic. (laughs) Yeah. Hold on. Say that again. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the bottom line is when hope dies, when we let hope die, because our dis you can't be disengaged, actively disengaged and not pay a cost for it. 
because we're not made to be partial. We're wholly integrated. So for us, like I've, I've worked with thousands of people, um, whether in my work in like, that's part of the work I do in the world, as well as I was spent 20 years in a sales career. So I was with people all the time and customers. And what I would gauge is like their eyeballs. I would pay attention to their eyes to see how engaged are they in the work they're doing. What's the vocabulary they use? You know, do they say hump day and thank God it's Friday and don't work too hard kind of phrases? You know, what, what's their vocabulary like? And I would notice is like these people, they're, they're atrophying. Something in them is shriveling up and eroding because they're playing a game. And so often because work is about our own personal survival and food, clothing, and shelter, so often people just downshift, they sleepwalk, they atrophy, they disengage so that they can survive. And my whole storyline in this book and my life's work is about, we can't do that. We can't fall asleep and expect for our wholeness to remain because part of us like Red offered in Shawshank Redemption is, yeah, but if you just let that part of you die, that's a way to survive. And that's the part that I'm calling BS on. You know, I feel like in some ways you just described me. Hmm. Um, so. Well, while I'm on this journey of becoming a whole person in faith, family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun, and there, there is, I'm doing the podcast. I'm, I am searching, yeah. but what I find myself doing as well is, you know, I mean, let's just, you know, I'm not, at, I don't want to say I'm not active in my parenting. I'm, I'm a decent parent, but I should be more engaged with my kids. You know, if I want something, instead of me getting up and doing it, I, I go ask my four-year-old so I can just stay sitting on the couch, yeah. you know, or if my two-year-old has something that I don't want him to have, I'll ask my four-year-old to go take it away. You know, I, in small ways, I have noticed I've disengaged yeah. in my health. I've disengaged, um, you know, I'm coming back from an injury and, well, a couple injuries and have just had a hard time getting back. Um, and I haven't had healthy habits along the way. So when I did get injured and couldn't work out, my weight shot up. Yeah. And so now I'm having, you know, I'll try a little bit and then for whatever reason I become disengaged again, I'll try a little bit in my marriage and then I'll become a little bit disengaged again or in finances. Actually, I feel like finances is the one area we've really done well in mm. where we've been actively engaged because over golly, the 10 years that we've been married, we've probably paid off around 50, 60,000 and just different debts. Right, uh, right we on. have very little other than our mortgage. We have very little debt. You know, we have medical debt and, you know, I think like a few thousand dollars of student loan left. Yeah, and nice. so we've been really active in that. So um, I have a question. Do you mind if I ask you a question? Please. So as you're saying, um, if finances is an area of, um, you know, some degree of mastery and engagement today, that's great. That's awesome. Um, and then these other areas of, you know, parenting and health specifically, 
if you're honest with yourself, what, what might be some of those reasons why that's a appropriate response in the moment? So if you're, you know, you're a two year old and four year old or wrangling over something like, sure, everybody does that. But if it's a deeper systemic thing, what's the, if you put a name to it, what is it that you're actually disengaged in? You know, when you said hope, that really hit me. Because I feel like that is something that I struggle with, especially or recently. Um, I think I'm afraid to just put all this effort out there and it mean nothing yeah. and I get nowhere. Yeah. Has that and, happened before? Yeah. When? And tons of different times. You know, growing up it was in sports. Um, even when I tried to go into ministry over a period of years, I yeah. went to college. I got in hundred, like a lot of student debt. Yeah. Um, you know, and then just a lot of these hopes and dreams that I had just didn't come to fruition. And, you know, you try moving forward with them and the, and it just didn't pan out the way I thought. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of that helped me get into this attitude of being disengaged. And another thing too, Aaron, <coughs> is um, I've experienced a lot of loss in my life. Yeah. Um, I've lost one close person in my life practically every year for the past 12 years, 10 mm. to 12 years. Mm. Um, I lost a child, gone mm. through a lot of physical and emotional pain. Uh, you know, last year we went through a miscarriage and, you know, we might be going through one right now as we speak. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of, yeah. A lot of hope crushed. Totally. And it's just like, why try so hard and put your hopes and your efforts out there? Yeah. When, when you can do your best and it still not happen. And yeah. I feel like that's what I struggle with. Yeah. You know? Um, or there's just a lack of knowledge on how to be better in a certain area of life. Yeah. Well, Evan, thanks for being real in that. And it sounds like you have a really, a long, um, a long list of reasons why hope is a dangerous thing. Yeah. And, um, what I've discovered in that is, I guess, maybe just, first of all, I'm sorry. And that sounds really hard. It sounds long and sustained. Yeah, you're, you're right. I feel like mildly yeah. I'm drowning. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, um, yeah, I have, um, I have a couple thoughts on, on that. Um, so similarly, you, the case file that I have, um, and this isn't thick enough as a visual, um, the library books of disappointment that I have in my life um, are really long. It's like reminds me of those law books that you see in a library, those really big, thick, 
you know, there's a whole volumes of them. Um, oh man, the number of tears I've shed over that is, uh, is a lot. And, um, you know, the honest truth is like I've been reading recently in um, Genesis where I go back to is the story of Joseph. <laughs> and yeah. And I just, I read the story of Joseph at least once a year, if not more. Um, because what's so helpful for me is like, here's a guy who's um, in my life story, what mimics Joseph's story is a lot of the pain I have in my life. Um, I can thankfully say I didn't cause a lot of it. I didn't have specific um, decisions I made or missteps or consequences for my decisions. There are some for sure, but um, by and large, that isn't my story. Um, my story has been more um, things that were, you know, from families and relationships and death and just all kinds of things. Um, and so our daughter passed away, uh, our middle daughter, she was 12. And she would be 22 this fall. And so it's been about almost nine and a half years now. And so that's one of many stories. And what I've discovered in that is that um, the life of Joseph is super helpful for me and hopeful because what we get a chance to do is read Joseph's story. Um, and to me, he's just a guy like us. He's just a guy who was born in a family who bad shit happened. He didn't, didn't make sense of it. And, um, and then, but in the end, the benefit of like reading the scriptures, what I love is that they're basically like cliff notes. It's like you get the whole story in small little scenes and slivers. And we get to actually see, we don't know how it ends in the very, very end in his dying days, but we get to see like the reconciliation where everything comes into view about why this is sensible. And so part of the story that I love with Joseph is there's these chapters where he gets wrongfully accused each time and thrown in the prison and then forgotten for like two years at a time. And like in the scripture, it'll actually say, and two years later, but it won't make any mention whatsoever about what happened from the last scene we were just watching. It's like a movie. Right. The, 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 the thing clips, stops, he's left in a dungeon and then, you know, comes on screen with the end two years later, and then we see the next scene. Well, the reality is you and I live in the middle of those two years saying WTF, what yeah. is this? What, how, do, how do I keep hope alive when I have this case file of reasons why I can't? Because it's so crushing. And there's this commentary book I read by this guy named uh, Chuck Swindoll years ago. And he said, you know what happened in Joseph's life over those two years? Because nothing's made, made mention of. Is that he had a choice. He had a choice to allow the pain and the loss and the sorrow to crush him. Or to turn his heart towards God and choose to become the kind of man who could be entrusted with more. And to me, that was the that is recurringly the pivot of I heard a friend say once you can have answers or you can have God, but oftentimes you can't get a both. Mm. 
And I've just found that, boy, the more I can um, lean into my life with God and let go of the demands for answers for my pain. And then the other part about it is just learning to not waste my pain. Yeah. And I've got a bunch of scars on my sleeves and just learning that like Joseph's story, what if God is for us, with us and always active in our life? And I believe that. So because of that, then I believe that even my current circumstances, whatever they may be, that somehow, some way, these scars can be useful and can be redemptive. That doesn't take away the fact that it hurts like hell in the moment and, and the pain and the sorrow for, for the losses. I also just have learned to believe that God is telling an active story in my life and that I can stay engaged in what he's up to. And then back to the engagement, the more I disengage, the more I'm actually not awake, alert, alive to whatever it is that is happening. And if I want to be a wholehearted person, wholehearted man, husband, leader, whatever it may be, I'm, I'm not going to be able to get there without a whole heart. And when I'm disengaged, I'm actively allowing parts of me to shut off, go to sleep, atrophy. And to me, it's intolerable. I won't do it. So many things that you've just said are like going off like different fireworks in my different tracks that I want to talk about. It's so funny that you used Joseph, Aaron, as an example, because you know how sometimes like God gives you something to say, but it's really for yourself and you didn't know it Mm. earlier today. I was talking with a friend who was just kind of sharing some stuff about his life and, you know, not being in a place where he wanted to be. He feels like he's going backwards in life and, you know, not, not seeing some of the successes that he's wanted career wise. And And I'm a little raw right now uh, because we're kind of in the middle of a medical situation that that I don't, I don't know if my wife's going to be pregnant a few hours from now or not. I I honestly don't. And so, um, so that's kind of difficult. And so as he's going through this, I just kind of said, look, dude, stop. I want to tell you about a guy named Joseph. Mm. He'd gone through, being sold into slavery, thrown into prison, in there for years to the top of, and then basically just said, shared the same story you just shared mm. and how over his time, his character and integrity was continued to be tested. Mm. Not saying God said, made all these things happen to him, sure. but used them to yeah. test his character and integrity until the point of arrival. Mm. And for you to say that, man, just reconfirms that that there is hope, that there is something worthy of being engaged through this pain. Because yeah. by by allowing yourself to be disengaged, you're essentially trying not to be hurt. And I think at the end of the day, that's 
there's so much hurt yeah. that, that has occurred that I'm just trying to protect myself from hurt by, by disengaging. But by disengaging, I'm not able to be a whole person either. Absolutely. Right. So I have a That's quick awesome, thought. man. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, continue. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. Um, what, I'm a, what I'm aware of is um, if that being true right now for your wife, then what if we conclude and wrap this up and you back to um, being engaged in your own life? Why don't you just go be with her? Okay. We can do that. Yeah. I think that's the right thing to do. We can do that. I, she might be working though. <laughs> that's yeah. a thing. <laughs> well, um, I'm, I'm happy to, um, whether recorded or not recorded, I'm happy to pray with you for her and for you guys in close. Yeah. I mean, we can record it and I'll, if I we don't want it, I'll edit it out. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would just encourage you, Evan, that um, these, these frontiers of your life right now are real. And how old are you? I'm 32. Yeah. This is, uh, this is the real, this is where the real stuff begins because your life matters to other people and you have a career, a marriage, a family, you have loss, heartache, and a good heart that you're investing in the work that you do every day. And then the way you're offering yourself here. And all of this is like, these are the crucible years. And what the temptation is, is to lose heart. Just because you get your ass kicked in too many times and it's just too painful to keep our heart alive because it keeps getting re-injured all the time. Right. And what, what I've learned to see is that we, the offer of life is man fully alive. And the only way to stay fully alive is to stay engaged in our whole heart, which means sometimes we're going to have to just feel the pain. And that was the thing that scared the shit out of me the most was I could keep getting up and keep going. Um, but I, I couldn't actually, I didn't know how to, and I feared stopping and allowing the pain to be felt fully. And so about five years ago is when I actually just stopped finally and just said, okay, I'll, if it ruins me and I can't get up again, then so be it. Cause I can't keep out running it. There's too much of it. Um, but I've actually discovered that it's actually the way forward. And I think that women in particular do a generally a better job than men of feeling it as they go, right? As they go along, not all, but lots of women that I know or my wife in particular is much better about feeling as she goes. Um, so yeah, let me pray for you guys. Yeah. Um, before let's, I want to do that at the very end. Great. I want to, let's end with three questions that I normally Great. end with. Okay. Great. Um, and the, these are for you. What is the biggest lie in self-talk that you had or currently struggle with? Self-talk had or currently struggle with, um, probably just paraphrased. I'm not enough or I'm valuable when I produce something. Mm. 
that my worth and value is attributed to shit I got to get done. Right. Contribution I got to make. And I didn't ask you, by the way, too, about uh, <laughs> how real to keep it with you on this podcast. So I'm just <laughs> trusting this. Let's keep going. What brings you peace? Brings me peace. Um, probably a couple things. Like one of them is like, I just know that God's real and it, it, um, so I just feel held like even when shit is sideways, just know that I'm okay. And also my, my people, my family, my wife and I, my kids, my close friendships. I have a lot of, yeah, rest and peace as a result of being loved by them. What's the best decision you've ever made? Ooh, best. Mm. Probably marrying my wife. And that's the one I can think of. Right. Yeah, choosing her. Now, I got one last question. Okay. How do we go from disengaged to engaged? If there is a first or second step, what do you think yeah. it would be? Excuse me. Um, what I've discovered is it's really challenging to go to just flip a switch to go disengage to engage without first kind of defining what, what would, in, what would be engaging to me? What would it look like? Um, how would I feel? So I, in parts of my life and career when I've been totally disengaged, um, I had to kind of draw a better picture of what, what would great look like? What am I aiming at here? And then begin to then go back to my disengagement and start deciding, well, what are the subtle shifts I can make today in my decisions, in my choices, my behaviors, my habits that would slowly begin to enable me. So it's that um, Shawshank Redemption reference again. It's like, you know, one little, uh, chip of the, of the rock of the wall, rock wall at a time. Like you, you have to have a vision though for what great would look like. So right. I've just found that you, it has to, you can't just flip the switch and talk yourself into it. You got to have what's in it for me. Like what's the uptick? What's the benefit of doing so? Mm. And then begin to build in some practical things. Here are some things I'm going to try. What if I just, so like forgiveness is one that I think about like, Forgiveness is not like a once and done. It's an iterative thing where we keep going back in. So that's what comes to mind. That's awesome, man. Well, in general, is this the most real, most vulnerable podcast you've ever been on? <laughs> uh, I think it qualifies. Definitely. Yeah. Oh. What it reminds me of is I, I spent a lot of time with guys in their thirties. So it reminds me less of a podcast and more of a conversation with guys in their thirties. Well, awesome. That, that's, yeah. that's what we're going for, I guess. Yeah, good. I mean, I would, yeah. I would love your, your prayer, man. Yeah. Sure. 
yeah. So Jesus, we trust you. What's your wife's name? Karina. Karina. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, we trust you, Jesus, for um, you are the author of all life. And we know what your intentions are for us as it relates to our life for wholeness and for health and for wellness. And Jesus, we acknowledge that what's going on in Karina's body right now um, may be, um, she may be in a place of transition where the life that's in her may not be staying. And so we pray, Jesus, a covering and blessing over her and specifically both over her heart, just her mommy's heart in that, and for Evan over his father heart. So we pray for their unborn baby today. We know that you know this baby by name and that you've intended this life from the beginning of time. And so we acknowledge that, that their son or daughter here, whether they have a chance to live together on this earth or not, that they'll see each other again. And that this story is um, not over. And at the same time, if this story is unfolding where it results in a miscarriage, Jesus, we know that you're with them. And we pray that actually that the story, the tide of the story would change. We do pray, Jesus, that we know that you're capable of interventions and miraculously um, holding back the tide of the direction of the momentum of a story. So we pray against the momentum of death in a story. And we pray the spirit of life over them in and through the life of Jesus in and through the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Father. So we consecrate all these things to you in your name and we claim your goodness. We claim your supremacy and your authority and your life of grace and love over us that is independent of the circumstances of our lives. And at the same time, we ask in your name, Jesus, for life to continue here and now for this baby. Consecrate all these things in the life of Jesus on this Good Friday. We pray these things. Amen. Amen. Aaron, man, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. You bet, bud. Yeah. And again, this, um, can I, Evan? Yes. Welcome to your life. (laughs) This is your life. All of it. All the blood, sweat, tears, joy, beauty, heartache. This is it. And you can do this. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. You're welcome. Keep going, brother. I will. I'm going to email you in the next day or so and follow up. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks, All right. bro. Bless Take you guys. Care. Hang in there this weekend. All right. We See will. ya. See ya. Go hug your wife. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you would, I'd greatly appreciate you subscribing as well as rating and even leaving us an objective review. It helps us with our ratings and spreading the message of the Whole Person Podcast. And now, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Take care and God bless.